say in song, that that has further just prepared us to worship as we hear God's word. Uh, If you would, open up a copy of God's powerful word to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 3 this morning. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you there, it'll be page 977 in the Bibles that we've provided for you. And as you turn there, I want you to think about the idea of what I like to call woe moments, okay? Uh, so that, that song, that song, that, was, that, that could have been defined as a woe moment, you know what I'm saying? Like, wow, this kind of makes me step back and think about the realities of what we're singing. Worthy is the name of Christ. For all eternity, there will be no other name that rivals the name of Jesus. Okay, if you, don't, if you don't understand that now, you will certainly understand it then. And the hope is that you would understand it now so you can enjoy it now and enjoy it then. But, but, but the songs that we sing are even designed to be kind of these wow uh, and, and woe uh, moments. But, um, but, but the kind of woe moment I want us to think about uh, this morning are, are, are moments that make us step back and pause because of the weight of what stands before us. There there are some things in life, some responsibilities that are are so great that we uh, are simultaneously excited on the one hand, but on the other hand, we're probably, you know, kind of scared half to death because um, we want to, to handle it really, really well. There are these moments, these responsibilities that are handed to us where we think, I can't believe I get to do this and I better not blow it. You know what I'm saying? You ever, you ever had these woe moments? Here, here, here are a few that come to mind. It's not an exhaustive list to be sure, but, but maybe it was the first time your dad uh, handed you his car keys. Remember, remember this? Maybe for some, some of you, you just kind of like, whoa, you know, I better, I better not, I better hand, this is cool, man, I get to drive this ride, but I better take care of it, you know what I'm saying, and not, you know, not have any accidents. Um, maybe it's some kind of responsibility in school. Maybe the first time your professor asked you to work on a special project. That could be a whoa moment uh, for you. And maybe it's the, maybe if you're in healthcare, the first time you stood before a patient, to take care of them. Perhaps it was the, the first time that, uh, that that girl said yes to you after all of your sorry attempts to ask her out on a date, and now you're like, whoa. You know, I'm like, whoa, hold on. I gotta, I gotta nail this. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's the first time you held a baby in your arms. Whoa. The sheer magnitude of the responsibility and yet the excitement that comes along with it makes us, causes us to, to step back and to consider what is before us. Well, the Apostle Paul, for, for the last half of his life, after he met Christ and Christ had saved him and given him this special assignment to take the gospel to the world, to the, to the Gentile world, those that were not belonging to the people of God, I think we could say that his life was kind of one continual woe moment. The sheer magnitude of, of what God had handed him in the gospel and the responsibility to take that gospel to all of the peoples of the world 
was surely a weighty responsibility that caused the Apostle Paul to step back and say, God, why? This is way beyond me here, and yet this is, this is so exciting because there's no greater privilege that, that we could have in life than to hold the mysteries of God, the treasure of the gospel on behalf of God for the sake of all people. So Ephesians 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 7 to begin to see this woe kind of life that the Apostle Paul lived for God. Here we go. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So what we see here in these verses is is that God had given Paul an assignment to declare and to display the gospel for all people. And this is, friends, the assignment that he has given us. If we are in Christ, then God has given us his gospel to display and to declare for the sake of all people. So, so, So walk away with this little phrase this morning, okay? God has given his gospel to us for them. To us for the sake of all peoples. I have two points to summarize the relevance of Paul's thoughts for us this morning. We're going to first look at what Paul had received in this mystery of the gospel, and then we're going to look at how we can um, fulfill the responsibilities that come with owning that mystery. Okay, so number one, I want us to see what we have been entrusted with in the mystery of the gospel. Let me explain to you what's happening here. If you haven't read the the whole book of Ephesians in a while and aren't familiar with the context and don't know what's coming, here's what happens, okay? This is classic Apostle Paul here, all right? He starts out in verse one is what he's saying, for this reason, okay? So we know that he is pointing back to the salvation that he's been talking about in chapter one and chapter two, salvation that is intensely personal, causing people who are spiritually dead to become spiritually alive, but then also not only reordering our reorienting our relationship to God, but also reorienting our relationship to one another. This is what salvation brings. And so for this reason, Paul is going to actually pray for the Ephesians. And this is what he starts to do in verse one. And so he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. And then you see this dash, right? In verse 2, what we have is this dash, which basically is a parenthetical digression that Paul jumps into out of the the fact that he is a prisoner for the Lord. He, He says, assuming that you have heard of this 
stewardship that God has given to me by his grace. Okay, so, so Paul doesn't pick up his prayer until verse 14, which is what we're going to pick up next week when he gets into the heart of his prayer. He, he finishes his parenthetical thought in, in verse 13. That's where we're working through today. Everybody with me? Got it? So Paul uh, digresses because he is overwhelmed with this stewardship that has actually led him to be imprisoned for the sake of Christ. So we have to understand that Paul was a prisoner. In the book of Ephesians, we have the pen of a prisoner that has written these words for us. Paul was hand-selected by Jesus. He was once a persecutor of the church, approving of people's death, and then God saved him. He he blinded him with this light from heaven, and he called Paul to to be his follower and be his messenger, to take the message of the, the good news of the death and resurrection of Christ to all the peoples of the world. And so this is probably what Paul is talking about in verse 3 when he says that the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. So so Paul was given this revelation by God that that he had this special assignment to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And what we need to understand is this. Paul was imprisoned, okay, not just because he was a Christian, Okay, he could have been in prison because he was a Christian, I guess, but, but that's not the reason why. Nor was it because Paul was incredibly bold and spoke very loudly to thousands of people about Christ. That's not actually the, the reason that he was imprisoned. The reason Paul was in prison was because of who he was communicating the gospel to. People were upset with Paul because Paul took the gospel to outsiders, People that didn't belong to the, to the people of God, the Jewish people, um, they, they thought that, that, that they kind of had this selective um, uh, right to uh, being in God's family. And so they were resistant to bring others into that. And God says, no, I am the God of all peoples, the God of all nations, and I want to bring everyone into my family. And, and says, Paul, this is your job. Go make that happen by the power that I give you. And so can we, just, can we just pause for a moment and think about the fact that Paul is a prisoner of the Lord? I mean, if you're like me and you've read the New Testament uh, more than once, you start to kind of just uh, run by these phrases. Oh yeah, Paul, he's in chains, prisoner for the Lord. I mean, can we just kind of stop and pause and think about that? Here, Paul had lost his freedoms. They had been stripped from him. His comforts were gone. He suffered physically, emotionally, relationally, all for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the people to whom he was taking Christ's message. And so, so why do we, why do I, why do we read these verses like Paul, he was a prisoner, okay, no big deal. We're comfortable Americans, Our bills are paid, food's on the table, hopefully. And so we just like, Paul, prisoner. I mean, can we just just step back and, and ask the question, would I be willing to be imprisoned for the sake of God's mission? Would you be willing to be imprisoned for the sake of God's mission? 
Are you willing to suffer if God called you to suffer for the sake of God's mission? Would you be willing to die for the sake of God's mission? I have to tell you, this is, this is normal Christianity, a willingness, okay? I'm not saying we seek out martyrdom here, okay? But I'm saying a willingness. If God calls us to go to unreached places and take the gospel where people are being killed for their faith in Christ and for their witness in Christ, I mean, who is willing to put their life on the line for the sake of Christ, We can see that 21 Coptic Christians in Egypt were were willing to seal their witness by their death just a couple of weeks ago. And so when we sign up to follow Christ, it's not Jesus, I'll follow you when it's convenient, but it is Jesus, I will follow you to the cross. Wherever you lead, wherever you call me to go, whatever assignment you give me, the deal is done, even if it means my suffering, even my death. This was the life of the Apostle Paul. He was glad to be in chains for Christ if that meant that more people could hear the gospel. His example here should be designed, it's designed to shake us out of our comfortable lifestyle that we uh, grow accustomed to. And, 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 and why could Paul suffer so willingly, uh, so, with, with such contentment? It's because he suffered in light of the gospel, right? He, he was so captivated by Christ so, so enthralled with the life and the death, the resurrection of Christ and this new life that he had been given in Jesus, that he's saying, Jesus, if you suffered for me, then how could I not suffer for you? Paul was consumed by the gospel so much that it informed everything that he did, everything that he thought. He could have contentment because he said to God, God, may my will and desires be melted into your will and desires. That's contentment, as Jeremiah Burroughs says it in a book written about four centuries ago. So Paul daily, I want you to understand this and get this, Paul daily preached the gospel to himself. Have you ever thought about this term, okay? Like you think you come on Sunday so that a preacher can preach the gospel to you, right? And sometimes we even mistakenly think that the gospel is just for those that are not yet in the faith, right? So they need to hear about the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus so that prayerfully they'll, they'll believe, maybe that's you today, believe and and follow Christ, but the gospel, as we talk about all the time at Redemption Hill, it's, it's not just for the entry into the Christian life, it's for every day of the Christian life, and we need the gospel to sustain us, right? Colossians 2, 6, as you've been rooted in Christ, so walk in him, live day by day by day. So we need to remind ourselves of the gospel, we need to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel every day so that we will be fueled and upheld by that same gospel. 
Because what happens when we stop preaching the gospel to ourselves is we'll start listening to ourselves and listening to the world the world around us is telling us, and that's not going to turn out well. When we listen to ourselves, okay, this is what, this is what Paul Tripp says. He says that, I like this, no one is as influential in your life as you are because no one talks to yourself more than you do, all right? So, so the thoughts that we wake up and think, and as we're evaluating our circumstances, we begin to, 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 to see that there are some real obstacles and challenges here. And so we start to, to become hopeless and despair. Man, will this ever change? And yet, when we remind ourselves of the truth and preach the gospel to ourselves, then, then uh, God can do his work of, of building us up and sustaining us and empowering us for the life that he has called us to live. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So if you want a really practical case study in this, go read Psalm 42 and 43 when, when the psalmist, David, okay, he is, he is distressed. He is to the point of despair. And he starts preaching to himself. He says, why, oh soul, are you so downcast within me? He says, hope in God. That's preaching the gospel. There's like, there's something more. There's something better here. I can hope in God because God cares for me. He loves me. He has a bigger plan. He's in charge of all of this mess that I'm experiencing right now. He has the last word in my trials and suffering. That's preaching the gospel to yourself. And so this is what we must do day by day, okay? So just, just picture it like this. We all like music, right, most of us, all right? We're not hitting the shuffle button here, okay? It's not like a little bit of, go- a lot of, little bit of gospel, a little bit of Tanner, a little bit of Jesus, you know what I'm saying? It's not like a little bit of Oprah and Dr. Phil and self-help books. I mean, it's just like gospel on repeat every single day, multiple times a day. Just try it, put it to the test, and see if it doesn't change your soul, We preach the gospel to ourselves. We can suffer because of who Christ is and what he has done. Paul was a prisoner for the Lord, but he was a prisoner who had been given a trust. And so Paul was a steward on behalf of God. This is what he says in verse two. He was entrusted with a specific responsibility. He uses this word stewardship. Stewards were given oversight over another person's property, okay? We could call them managers, okay? If you've ever had a managerial experience, you know that you've been entrusted to oversee the the responsibilities of different ones under you for the sake of someone else, right? Perhaps the owner, the master in this case, who is God. And so uh, we, we, like Paul, should be stewards. We should consider ourselves what he says in verse 7 of this gospel. I was made a minister. That word minister could be translated servant. It's the word diakonos, where we get deacon. Okay, we just elected some deacons in our church who will serve the good of the church on behalf of God and, and his people here at Redemption Hill. And so, so this is who we are. We're just servants of God. We're just stewards who have been entrusted with with a great treasure that we now have a responsibility to fulfill. And this comes, I mean, Paul, again, is is not being redundant for redundant's sake, okay? He calls it a gift of grace in verse 2, in verse 3, in verse 7. And as we'll see in verse 8, he says, I am uh, less than the least 
of all the saints because I persecuted the church and because I see how sinful I am. I don't even deserve to have this assignment, but I'm humbled that God has given it to me, so I'm gonna give it everything I've got. So what we need to understand as we are living our life for God, as we are on mission with Jesus, we need God's grace on the one hand, but we also need his power. Look back at verse seven. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by what? The working of his power. This is what must characterize our lives as God's servants, grace and power. As we go to uh, distant lands to take the gospel, uh, Joel and Jen Smith, two of our interns right now, are preparing to to, to go uh, overseas to take the gospel to unreached people. What they need is grace and power. Lonnie, when she goes and serves this summer, she needs grace and power. Redemption Hill, as we reach out to our neighbors and coworkers and friends during this Easter season, what we need is grace and power. And God has it in limitless supply to give us. The, 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 the purpose of this stewardship, again, I can't say it enough. Verse one, what does Paul say? He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus, what? On behalf of you Gentiles. This stewardship, verse two, was given to me for you. So we have been given a gift that is for the sake of those around us. This this gift should be shared and stewarded very, very well. And this stewardship is the stewardship of the mystery of the gospel. Now, we should stop and pause and ask, why does uh, Paul uh, call the, the gospel a mystery? Most of the time when we think mystery, we think of a riddle to be solved, something that's puzzling, that kind of stumps us, a mystery novel, if you will. Uh, but, but the word mystery in the New Testament refers to something that was once concealed, some kind of secret that has now been revealed and made known. We could call it an open secret, if you will. This is what Paul talks about in verse five. Look at this. He says, this mystery of Christ was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so this mystery is, number one, in verse four we see it's the mystery of Christ. God unveiled his redemptive plan, his plan to bring people back to himself, to make that happen. It came in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, what did Christ accomplish? Well, then we see it in verse six. This is so good. The mystery is that the Gentiles, okay, think everyone who is not a a Jew, who didn't grow up as part of the the, the people of God in Israel, um, now they are fellow, what does it say? Fellow heirs, okay? Inheritance of all the promises of God and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this is what makes the gospel so beautiful. Part of what makes the gospel so beautiful. You can take two totally different people 
and they now become one person in Christ, one new, new humanity in Jesus. So that there's not a person that, that could walk into uh, this, this uh, gathering that we would say, you know what? Jesus is for us, but it's not for you. We all have equal privileges, right? So it's not like you can, we can sit on the front row, but you can't sit on the front row. No, the gospel is for everyone. It's, 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 it's bringing us into the same inheritance in Christ. So this, this mystery unites distinct peoples through our shared union with Jesus. This gospel is a global gospel. It's not an American gospel. It's not a Western gospel. It is a gospel for all people. So that's why we're going to keep sending teams to India, where most of the people there do not believe in the gospel. Why do we do that? It's because Harak Jati, Harak Basha, Harak Kul, Harak Log. That's every People, every tribe, every nation, every language, Revelation 7, that's God's vision for the world, and that is our assignment to take the gospel to, that's the only Hindi I know, by the way, all right? That's what they speak in parts of India, not all of India, but Harak Bashi, Harak Log, Harak Kul, Harak, yeah, I forgot the fourth, I'm sorry, it's in my notes. But, but, but every, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, that's our assignment. That's what we're going to pray for our team going over there this week. So we need to see. We need to see what has been entrusted to us in the mystery of the gospel. But then number two, we need to spread God's grace through consistently declaring and displaying the gospel. So number one, spread God's grace by declaring the gospel. Look, look at verse eight. He says this, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. What's the grace, Paul? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay, so, so this was Paul's assignment. And I know some of you are like thinking, hey, good for Paul, super Christian, special assignment from God. That's good. That's his deal. That's not my deal. Okay, but you couldn't be more wrong because when Jesus uh, was, was living his life and he was giving his assignment to, to his disciples, it wasn't like, hey, Peter, you can speak really good before crowds. So this is your assignment. You're going to be the preacher, but you other 11, okay, um, you're, you're exempt. It's not how it works, all right? It's all of Jesus' followers are sent with the same mission that he was sent with to proclaim the good news to all people. So you may never stand on the stage and preach before hundreds of people, but, but you know what? You might have a cup of coffee with a friend and tell them how Jesus has changed your life. That's, that's actually preaching the gospel. You don't have to call it preaching, okay? But it is proclaiming, declaring who Jesus is and what he has done for you. It's all of our assignment if we are in Christ. And, and this assignment is to spread the unsearchable riches of his, uh, his, his life. The good news of Jesus is, is loaded with unfathomable wealth. And so let the, let the words of Matthew 10, 8 just ring in your mind and your heart. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, 
freely give. We have freely received of the riches of the gospel that we might take what we have received and give it away for the sake of others. So I like what John Stott says when he says this. Once we are sure, and we should pray that God would make us sure, that the gospel is both truth from God and riches for mankind, nobody will be able to stop us. I mean, I mean are you convinced? Are you convinced that, number one, this is really true, that the story of the Bible, this plausible explanation of our world that is not only uh, intellectually credible, but uh, satisfying in our experience. Do you really believe that it is true? And if you believe it is true, do you believe that riches are found here for all people? Because if you believe these two realities deeply enough, then I have to believe we are going to be compelled to share this good news with others. So let me work out a little logical reasoning for us here this morning, okay? If, if there are unsearchable riches in Jesus, and Jesus offers himself to you, then unsearchable riches can be yours through him. We're talking about spiritual riches here. We're talking about, we're talking about what he's just said in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. If you want to know what the unsearchable riches are, just for a start, okay, not comprehensive, but just for a start, just go back and reread Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. The salvation that he has given us has moved us into God's family. We've been adopted. We have been chosen. We have been redeemed, brought back to God. We have been forgiven of all our sin against God. We have been given an inheritance. We have been given power for living life day by day. We have been spiritually raised to life. We have been uh, now brought together with others in a way that we can never have been brought together before. All this is possible because of Christ and what he has done for us. There are unsearchable riches in Jesus, as we sang about earlier today. So here's just a two-fold vision for, for us this Easter season, okay? Most of you know Lent started a couple weeks ago, and we're observing that as a church family for those who want to participate to, to devotionally say, I'm going to spend time with God. Hopefully you're doing that anyway, but this is a, an opportunity to kind of meditate on the cross and the resurrection as we lead up to Easter. And, and some are choosing to maybe fast from the usual comforts of, of what we're, we're used to in this life so that we can feast more on Christ giving up a little food, giving up a little technology, giving up a little whatever God leads you to give up so that you can have more of Jesus, right? And so here, here's just a twofold encouragement for us, okay? Get Christ and get more of Christ and get all of Christ that you can. If there are unsearchable riches in Christ, then, then there is no bottom to this thing. You can, you can never experience all of the fullness of who Christ is, okay? It's not like, you know, you know our, our kids at home, like, Daddy, I want some more gummies. Like, man, the gu- we ain't got no more gummies. We got to go back to the store, right? But you come to Christ, and it's a, it's a limitless treasure, mercy, peace, joy, spiritual riches. They're all found in him. The things that we long for at the deepest levels of our heart, they're all found in him so we can feast on him. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, to have found God and to still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. 
You got that? Write it down. You want, you want that written down because you're not going to remember it when you go home, okay? To have found God. We, we know God in Christ, but we still want more of him. And this is the paradox of our soul chasing after more of God. Get Christ, get more of Christ, and get all of Christ you can. But number two, give Christ. And give more of Christ. And give all of Christ you can. These unsearchable riches are not just for us. They are to be shared communicated, declared to all people. What does Paul say in verse nine? He says he is sent to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And so I love this. When we share truth, when we share the truth of the gospel as is contained in the scriptures, then when truth goes forth, light goes forth. Light shines in the spiritual darkness and illuminates people's hearts and lives that they might be brought into the life that God intended for them in the very beginning. And so as we think about this Easter season, I want us to consider how God might want to use us in his mission. I mean, Easter is a, is a time of the year when we think, hopefully we're thinking deeply on the crucifixion of Christ, that he shed his blood so that we might be brought in, forgiven, redeemed, brought into his family. But it is also a time of the year when Others are probably more receptive to thinking about spiritual things, more receptive to receiving an, an invitation to uh, explore the Bible or come to church and, and experience it for the first time or reconnect after a, a prolonged absence. And so uh, we're actually going to not host our Easter service here at the Boys and Girls Club. We're going to move upstairs to the Chevalier Theater, okay? So this is the building that we're in right now, okay? We're in kind of the side door in the lower level, all right, in case you never knew this. But we're going to move upstairs to the Chevalier Theater because we want to have more space to invite more people to come to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So you're like, why would we do this? Okay, yeah, number one, we want more people to hear. Number two, it's contextually wise. I mean, if, if you ask people in Medford, uh, where, where is the Chevalier Theater? What's, what's the Chevalier Theater? They're gonna know it. It's a, it's a historic landmark in our city. But then also, as we said, it's, it's a time where hopefully we're heightened in our, in our, in our uh, thoughts of being about God's mission, but it's also a time where people are receptive to God's mission. So listen, there is plenty of room, as you can see in this picture, there are plenty, there's plenty of room for us to invite many, many people to come into our worship to hear the gospel and experience who Jesus is. Now, this is just a little vision that, that I've been praying about, and, and I think that it's, that, it's, that it's within our reach, okay, as a church. Here's just a very simple vision for us to, to prayerfully uh, reach out and grab onto during this Easter season, okay? You ready for this? What if everyone at Redemption Hill, and I mean everyone, everyone that is connected to Redemption Hill, I mean, we, we, we have an average of attendance of, of roughly 180, 190 people. That means we have more than that that are actively a part of our church because not everyone's here every Sunday. What if everyone 
who are probably going to be there on Easter, right? It's probably, hopefully, a time we're prioritizing on our calendar. Hey, I might have to be out of town for this Sunday or that, but, but I'm going to be here for that service. What if every one of us reached one person and brought them with us to hear the good news of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ? I mean, can we do that? So, Tanner, maybe I've never even done that before. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. I mean, do, do we really believe these, these words in Ephesians 3 that God is able? He's able to do far more than we ask or think. I mean, God can, can give us the grace and the power to reach out to those around us and bring them into the joy that we know in Christ. So listen, this may, this may feel like a bold step. It's like we're going up to the Chevalier where we can get four or 500 people in there if God chooses to send that many through our collective witness. But I'm just saying, let's be ready for that and see what God does. Everyone reaching one. It's not an easy task. It's not. And you might think, well, it was easy for Paul because he was like the super Christian. He was like the super missionary and theologian. There was no uh, missionary or theologian in the history of church that could compare to the apostle Paul. And you know what? You may be right, but was it easy for Paul? It was not easy for Paul. And if you want to be convinced, just go to Ephesians 6. Turn over a page. Verse 19, what does it say? And Paul is saying, hey, you need to pray in the Spirit in all, in all occasions with supplications before God. And then he says, and also, look at this, and also for me. Pray for me, Paul says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to what? Proclaim the mystery of the gospel. What, what does that mean? That means that Paul needed prayer to proclaim Christ with clarity and boldness, which was, was his assignment, and that is our assignment as well. So listen, I, I don't know what God's going to do on April 5th. I don't know if we're going to have 200 people, if we're going to have 250, 350, 450. That, that, that's, that's, that's his domain, all right? I can't make my friends come, all right? I would like to. I would like to knock on their door Sunday morning. Hey, you're coming with me. Maybe I should try that. But, but, but I'm going to put the invitation out there. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm not going to be crazy, you know, Christian. But I'm going to invite them, and then I'm going to see what God does. So how about, how about this prayer this, this Easter? Perhaps you would want to pray it uh, daily, okay? You don't, it's not a legalism, okay? You don't, you're not more spiritual if you pray it every day, if you skip a couple of days. But, 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 but what if we just pray daily? The simple prayer, all right? You can probably memorize it right now. You might want to write it down. God, I pray that everyone at Redemption Hill would reach one person for your fame. Give us wisdom, grace, and boldness, Amen. Could you just pray that? Could you just pray that for one another? God, I pray that Amanda, Grayson, Marsha, Vickers, Henry would reach one, but God, I know they're going to need wisdom and grace and boldness to do it. I mean, I can pray that. I can pray that multiple times a day. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to try to do that multiple times a day, and I'm probably going to try to pray for every single one of you that God would do this. Everyone reaching one for the sake of Christ, for the fame of Christ. This is not about Redemption Hill growing to be a bigger church so that people can say, oh, look how great Redemption Hill is. Who, who cares? Really, who cares? In, in the scales of eternity, no one's going to say, man, Redemption Hill, what an awesome church. Nobody's going to say that. They're going to say, what an awesome Christ. His name is above every name. It's not about us. Amen. 
We declare the gospel, and we also display the gospel. Verse 10, look at it. So that, okay, what, what does Paul do? Why does Paul do all this? Why does he proclaim the gospel uh, with such boldness? It is so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's verse 10. So, so, so what, is Paul, what is Paul saying here? He, he's saying that he declares the gospel so that the multifaceted, many-sided, many-splendored wisdom of God might be made known to everyone. I mean, if we're arguing from the greater to the lesser, we could say if, if God makes his wisdom known to the, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, okay, that's, that's the good angels, that's the bad angels, that's all of the angels, I believe, then how much more does he make it known to the people of earth? You see that? So, so isn't this, this is a woe moment, by the way, because God could have chosen to display his wisdom directly from him, and yet he chooses us to be the instruments of displaying his wisdom to the world. Do you see that? Through the church, the manifold wisdom is made known. So listen, how does this work out practically? It means that when we, diverse people coming from different backgrounds, different countries, different uh, uh, ages and, and educational experiences and jobs and workplaces, when we all come together and have Christ in common and we love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, support one another, are vulnerable with one another, in our weaknesses and struggles, and yet we love one another through this. And on mission together, it speaks a word to the watching world. It tells a story of how great God is. So we not only declare the gospel, we also display the gospel. I want you to hang with me here for one more minute. Francis Schaeffer says this. I want you to think about the power that is in the, the life of a church, like Redemption Hill and like all the other churches in Boston that are clinging to the gospel of Christ. This is what he says, all right? I love this. He's reflecting on the early church, and he says, one cannot explain the explosive dynamite, the dunamis, okay? That's the Greek word for power in Acts 1.8, um, of, of the early church apart from the fact that they practice two things simultaneously. And this is our prayer for redemption. Are you ready for this? Um, orthodoxy of doctrine. That means like right doctrine, right, right, right understanding of God's word, God's truth. All right? But also orthodoxy of community in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see. So, so to put it in plain terms, right belief and right living, consistent living with what we say we believe about Jesus. That, that's what the church needs. And so he goes on to say this, by the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and the reality of its community. Our churches have so often been only preaching points with very little emphasis on community, but exhibition of the love of God in practice is beautiful and must be there. So here's what I pray, and this is what we always pray as elders of Redemption Hill, is that God would make us really love the gospel, really love the truth of the gospel, but that we wouldn't just love the truth for the truth's sake, but if we're really loving the truth, we're actually going to live that truth out. We're not going to say Christ is great and he really loved, but we're not going to love. Christ was a servant and he willingly gave of his life for us, but we're not going to give of our lives of anything. 
And so Ray Ortland in his, in his really great book, The Gospel, says this, okay? Gospel doctrine minus gospel culture is what a lot of people see of the church today, and that is hypocrisy. If you, you can believe right things, but if you don't live right things, then the only thing that people are going to see is, man, these are a bunch of hypocrites. But we can actually have gospel culture without gospel doctrine. So if you have gospel culture minus gospel doctrine, then you have a fragile church. There's no foundation there. Ultimately, the thing is going to fall apart because there's no real foundation on which to stand. But what happens? Ready for this? What happens when you combine gospel doctrine with gospel culture? You have power. Ortland goes on to say this, gospel doctrine with gospel power is prophetic. In other words, it tells a story of the truth of that same gospel. So when we are a church that is declaring the gospel, but also displaying the gospel with this gospel culture that changes us from the inside out, then, then we are actually telling a story by the way that we love one another and serve one another and live together on mission for God as we go out and serve the community, Easter egg hunts, and a thousand other things that we try to do throughout the course of the year. People have to take notice of that and wrestle with the claims of Christ. And so that is what we are about at Redemption Hill. We can have boldness, verse 12, and access with confidence through our faith in Christ. And so Paul would end by saying, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The power of the gospel is displayed in the moments where we are thriving and striving with God and the, the, the mystery and the power of the gospel is displayed even in our suffering because in our suffering, we're saying, you know what? This gospel is so valuable, so worthy that we would gladly suffer so that more people can be included in Christ. And so what I wanna ask you this morning is, number one, are, are, are you included in Christ? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you experienced the riches that are found in him? Okay, you may want to take that connection card that's in your seat and you say, you know what, Tanner, I, I, I'm not there yet, but I have questions about Christianity. I want to I know more about how I can begin a personal relationship with Christ and experience all these great things that you're talking about today. Maybe that's you. But if you, if you are in Christ, if you have been included because of the grace of God, then, then here is the great reminder from today. God has given us his gospel for them. It's the gospel to us for them. So let's declare and display it for his fame. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would help us to believe these truths more deeply, live them out more truly, and that we would put no limit on what you desire to do in broken, weak people like us. Lord, you delight to fill us with your grace and power. So Lord, would you help us to receive it, God? We, we need your grace and power. Lord, help us to believe that everyone in this church can reach one person over the next month and bring them to our Easter service and share the, the gospel of Christ with them as we just live our lives and, and spread your love. So Lord, even now we ask that you would, that you would produce by your spirit 
these good things in us, that it might be all for your fame. In Jesus' name, amen.